1: God is looking for people, men and women, whose heart is loyal to Him so He can show Himself strong on their behalf. I hope it's you. I hope that your heart is so loyal to God, your heart is so attached to God, your heart is so willing to allow God to be plying it, molding it, and shaping it, that He's going to use you in a mighty, mighty way. Because that's what God's looking for.
0: As a follower of Christ, have you ever kept God at a distance? Have you ever felt called to do something but ignored it because you don't trust God? In today's message, Pastor Dave wants you to know that God's plan will always be the best plan for your life. Stay committed to Him and let His promises reign true over you. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Esther, chapter 1, as he begins his message, The Providential Hand of the Lord.
1: open to Esther chapter one, Esther chapter one, and we will begin. I'm calling this study an introduction, but I'm also calling it the providential hand of God. That's going to carry through the entire read of Esther, the providential hand of God. So because they're about both women, many people have made a comparison between the books of Ruth and the books of Esther. On one hand, you have a quiet little village. On the other hand, you have this hustling and bustling Gentile city. It goes from doing business at the city gates where Boaz made his redeeming offer to the decree of a sovereign king, a sovereign monarch. From the joys of a simple life to the intrigues of a complex empire. Ruth and Esther lived in entirely different worlds. Entirely different worlds, but... What I'm trying to get at, the same God was present and at work in each of their lives. And interestingly, an interesting fact, God's name is not mentioned in the book of Esther. God's name is not mentioned in the book of Esther. As an aside, there is one other book in the Bible where God's name is not mentioned. Does anybody know what that is? Well, you guys are good. You guys are good students. Yeah. Song of Solomon does not mention the name of God. One commentator I read said this, quote, while there is no name of God and no mention of the Hebrew religion anywhere, no one reads the book of Esther without being conscious of God and his providential hand. So keep that in mind as we go through it, and hence why I named this beginning the providential hand of God. But when you're comparing the two books about two different ladies, we see that God is the is the field of Ruth. God is the fields of Ruth. And he's also the feast of Esther. God is involved in everything. He's the same guy that got at the gleaners in the harvest that overrules a powerful king. He's the same God that has his way in both the stories, and he never violates their freedom. God never violates their freedom to act. This should really be encouraging to us. It really should be encouraging to us as we read through this story. No matter where you live... No matter what your background is, no matter where you work, no matter who you are, male or female, etc., God is always in your midst, and he is always at work on behalf of his people. And that should give us great solace. No matter what we might be going through, no matter what might be happening in our life, we need to know that God is still on the throne, and he's still doing marvelous works in your life, even though things might be difficult. You might be struggling over something that happened. God is still in control and still doing a wonderful work. And when you get through this and you look back, you're going to see his providential hand all through it. You're going to see how he worked all the way through what you're going through right now. So let's look at a little bit of background about Esther. The book, if you know or not, is not in chronological order. The book is not in chronological order as the books of history. If Esther were placed in chronological order, it would actually come between the book of Nehemiah and Ezra. The chronologically, as we studied, Ezra records the first return from captivity, where thousands of Jews went back from their homeland in a great celebration under his leadership. Forty years later, Esther came on the scene. Forty years after that first group goes back, To Jerusalem, Esther comes on the scene. And 40 years after that, Nehemiah comes on the scene. So Esther fits in between the rebuilding of the temple, which was given by Cyrus, and the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem, which was given by Artaxerxes. That's where Esther fits chronologically. However, remember, Esther has an important role. Why? Because many, many, many of the Jews did not return. They didn't go back. And we studied this when we looked at Ezra and we looked at Nehemiah. Many of the Jews were comfortable in the Gentile city. They were comfortable where they lived. They had made a life for themselves, and they didn't want to return. And it is this group of people that the book of Esther encompasses. And these events in this book took over a period of 10 years. 10 years span in this book. For those of you who are keeping score... It's written 465 years before the birth of Christ. 465 years before the birth of our Savior. No one knows who wrote the book. It's a mystery. But they do believe that the person who wrote it must have been a Jew by nationality and very personally acquainted with the reign of King Ahasuerus, who was the king of the Persian Empire and the palace in Shushan. Where have we heard that name before? Nehemiah. And chapter 1-1 of Nehemiah said that he was in the citadel of Shushan with King Artaxerxes. In this story of Esther, as I said, it doesn't mention God, but yet God's overruling providence is seen throughout the book. Interestingly, the Jews hold this really important to their heart. They think this is an extremely special book. In fact, they think it's one of the most important books in all the Bible. It is a very beautiful story of God's preservation of his people. It's a good story of God's sovereignty and his providence and his evidence in every way. The book reminds us that God cares for his people once again. And he will fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 3. I'm going to read that for you because I think it's important that we look at this promise that God made to Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis in verses 1 3. And through three. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's us, folks. All the families of the earth will be blessed through Abraham, because Jesus Christ came by Abraham. So all the families are blessed, and we're blessed. There's a powerful message in this book. Esther is really committed to the Lord, and she allows him to guide and lead her to accomplish great things among her people. Her people are in trouble. Her people are in great danger. And because she's queen, she steps in and basically saves the Jewish race. She basically saves them from total destruction. God can and God will use anyone to accomplish his purpose. Remember that. And he's looking for people today to stand in the gap. He's looking for people to be on the front lines of ministry to share his love one to another. And I always go to my favorite verse. You've heard me say it many, many times, and you're going to get tired of me saying it, but that's okay. In Second Chronicles 16, in verse 9, 9a, nine it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to sow himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God is looking for people, men and women, whose heart is loyal to him so he can show himself strong on their behalf. I hope it's you. I hope that your heart is so loyal to God, your heart is so attached to God, your heart is so willing to allow God to be plying it and molding it and shaping it that he's going to use you in a mighty, mighty way. Because that's what God's looking for. Now I've said this before, all revivals that have happened started with one heart. Start it with one heart. So let's begin, shall we? We're going to read 1 through 9 in chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this was Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 providences from India to Ethiopia. In those days when King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the citadel, that in the third year of his reign he made a feast for all his officials and servants, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the providences being before him, when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days in all. And when these days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Shushan, at the citadel from the great to small in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white and blue linen curtains fastened with cords and fine linen and purple and silver rods and marble pillars and the couches were of gold and silver on mosaic pavement of alabaster, turquoise and white and black marble. They were served drinks in golden vessels, each vessel being different from another with royal wine in abundance according to the generosity of the king. In accordance with the law, the drinking was not compulsory for so the king had ordered all the officers of his household that they should do according to each Man's pleasure. Queen Vashti also made a feast for the women in the royal palace which belonged to King Ahasuerus. So the book of Esther begins with an introduction to the queen's husband. The queen's husband, who is the ruler of the Persian Empire, he's ruling over 127 nations. He's a mighty, mighty ruler. His name is Xerxes. That's what he's called in secular history. We knew him as Artaxerxes, but he's called Ahasuerus because Ahasuerus is the Hebrew name given to him. Ahasuerus. He was having a great feast for all his buds, princes and everybody. It lasted for 180 days. A feast lasting 180 days. Talk about a food show. Talk talk about being glutted. Talk about being stuffed. Talk about being drunk out of your gourd, holy mackerel, 180-day feast, can you imagine the length of time? You can get pretty stuffed in 180 days, and you can get pretty drunk in 180 days too. And if that wasn't enough, after that was over, he said to his guys, you know what? We should have a feast. (laughs) They just got finished with a feast for 180 days, and he's saying we should have a feast. What I'm trying to get at is the opulence here, is the over-excess here of something is never enough. You have a feast for 180 days and that's not enough. You have to have a feast for seven more days and maybe seven more days after that and after that and after that. I mean, come on. It's never ever enough. And we constantly feed the flesh that way. What was his motive? Well, they believe that his motive was a military campaign. They believe that he was eyeballing Greece and that he wanted to attack Greece, and he was trying to buddy up with all his men to get them on his side so they could go attack Greece and have a great victory. Why? Because pride got to him, and he wanted to be supreme ruler of the world. Pride got to him. He wanted to be ruler of the world. He wanted to be king. He wasn't on the Titanic, but he wanted to be king of the world. He wants them to know that, hey, I can support this war. I got all the finances. Well, so look, you're all drinking out of cups of gold. You don't think I have the money? There was only one problem with this. Anybody know what it was? God was against him. And that's the major problem in any venture. God was against this guy. God was against him. He cannot and will not succeed. We have studied this before anybody who rebels against God, anybody who comes against God in any way never succeeds and never thwarts the plan of God. And that's what's going to happen in this book. Men are going to come and have the king's ear and they're going to try to thwart the plan of God by killing off the Jews. That's the whole setup of this story. Now, in this culture, men and women were kept away publicly. They weren't allowed to be together. They were separated. So the queen... She throws her own gig. She throws her own party. You know, she has her time. So the king now, in verse 10 and 11, calls for his wife to come to the main feast. Let's read 10 and 11. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded mehuman, bestra, harbona, Bigtha. Abitha, Zetar, and Cartus, seven eunuchs who serve in the presence of the king Ahazareth, to bring Queen Vesti before him, wearing her royal crown in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials, for she was beautiful to behold. So he's getting pretty looped. He's pretty, ha- he's in the bag. He's in the bag. He says, you know what? I'm going to show off my queen. I want my queen to come out and show her beauty to all these drunken men. All these guys are sitting around. So he decides to call his wife into the feasting area. He was displaying all this opulence. He was displaying all this power. He was trying to think, and everybody was in a drunken stupor, and he wants his beautiful wife now to display her like some trophy. He wants to bring her out like a trophy. Look what I have. Now, there are those that suggest, and it is legend not scripture. It is legend that they, he wanted her to come out basically naked. He wanted her to come out and show her beauty naked to these drunken men. Now that's legend. It doesn't say so in our scriptures today, so we can't be dogmatic about it. I'm just saying what legend had it, what Jewish legend says. He wanted her to show off her beauty. Boy, does he get a surprise. The queen has other ideas. Look at verse 12. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, brought by his eunuchs. Therefore, the king was furious and his anger burned within him. One thing you don't do to monarchs is you don't refuse them. You don't say no to the king. Obviously, she did. (laughs) Obviously, she thought, I'm your wife. I can say no to you whenever I want. Whether she was afraid to be in the presence of all these drunken men, or she simply had enough pride in herself and dignity not to be treated like property, we're not told. But she refuses to show up. Imagine the insult that this was to the king. He's got all these people in front of him they're all bagged, they're all half hit, and they're all wandering around. And he says, My wife's coming. Wait, do you see her? How, what a beauty. Wait, do you see her? And she doesn't show up, and the people come and tell her, She ain't coming. Nope, she's not coming. Can you imagine the embarrassment that he's feeling? And what about the men? Wait a minute. This guy wants to be our leader. He can't even get his wife to obey him. He's, he's going to be our leader? No, I don't think we're following this guy. And you, hey, you got to give Queen Vashti a little credit for standing up for 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 herself. You got to give her a little credit for standing up as as. Ill-advised as it might have been, you gotta give her credit for standing up. You know, on one hand, she gave little thought to the possibility of failure of a military campaign as a result of her actions. That wasn't on her mind. She was not gonna let her allow herself to be abused. She wasn't gonna allow herself to be on display. That's what she thought. So the king's the queen's actions, get this. The queen's action, because of this, the king is frantic and he's gotta have a meeting of his cabinet right away. He doesn't know what to do with himself. So let's look at 13 through 15. Then the king said to the wise men who understood the times, for this was the king's manner towards all those who knew law and justice, those closest to him, bring Carstaya, Shefeth, Amalathat, all those guys, seven princes of Persia and Media, Who had access to the king's presence and who ranked highest in the kingdom. What shall we do to Queen Fashti according to the law? Because she did not obey the command of King Ahasuerus brought to her by the eunuchs. He's looking for a law. He's looking for a loophole that he can use to get at this woman. He's looking for something that he wants to do. The queen's action now required an emergency cabinet meeting of the king's most most closest people. She had refused to obey. A direct command from the king. And once again, I say that had it been anybody else, they probably would have lost their head right there on the spot. Probably would have lost their head right there on the spot. This was so serious, but it seems that there was no precedent. There's no precedent set. So he kept kept on asking them, where's the law here? What does the law say so I I can do something? They needed to come up with one fast. They didn't want the king to lose face among the other nations. He's standing there. He's standing there with his bare face hanging out and he doesn't know what to do. He's standing there and he's got mud on his face. He's got egg on his face. He doesn't know what to do. His queen has basically snubbed him. She won't come out and they're telling him, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, this guy, Menhuncan, speaks first. Let's look at 15 through 19. What shall we do? The queen Vashti, according to the law, because she did not obey the command of King Ahasuerus, brought to her by the eunuchs. And Mimukan answered before the king and the princes. Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, but also all the princes and all the people who are in all the providences of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will become known to all women so that they will despise her husbands in their eyes when they report King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to come to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day, the noble, uh, noble ladies of Persia and Media will say to all the king's officials that they have heard of the behavior of the queen. Thus, there will be excessive contempt and wrath. If it pleases the king, let a royal decree go out from him, and let it be recorded in the laws of Persians and the Medes, so that it will not come be altered. That Vashi shall come no more before King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. It has been decided. Been decided. Let's get rid of her. Let's get her out before she causes more problem. I love this guy's thinking. They didn't just embarrass you. They embarrassed the whole gang. They embarrassed all of us. She put us all down. How dare she? You going to let her get away with this? If you're going to let her get away with it, it's going to spread to other women. We will have a revolt on our hands. And you people thought women's libs started this year, this, this century. You think women's libs started in this century. No, 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 no. Way back to when. Don't tell me, young. come on. These guys were afraid. If, if, if this goes out, we're not going to be able to get our wives to do anything. Come on, we got to do something. Like I said, this was the first liberation movement from the women. Come on. Notice the proposal in verse 19 through 22. If it pleases the king let a royal decree go out from him and let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it will it will not be altered that Vashti come no more before the king Ahasuerus and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. When the king's decree, which he will make is proclaimed throughout all his empire, for it is great. All wise will honor their husbands, both great and small. And they and the reply pleased the king and the princes. and the king did according to the word of Macunam. Then he sent letters to all the king's providences, to each province in its own script, and to every people in their own language, that each man should be master of his own house and speak the language of his own people. Now, you have to remember the condition of these guys when they're making these rules. They're plastered. They're making all these rules, and they're all drunk. I mean, they've been partying for 180 days. Partying for 100 days, let's do seven more. Sure, why not? You're buying. I don't care. They're all plastered. So in this one act of rebellion, Vashti loses her royalty. She loses being queen. She was queen no more and never allowed to come into the presence of the king again. And I'm sure that ladies all over the kingdom praise her for strength and courage. But she paid a heavy price. And like I said, and had she been anyone else other than the queen, she would have lost her life. You are assured.
0: In the book of Esther, the stage is set for a grand story of redemption and bravery. The picture looks bleak, and then it looks even worse, until God flips the story on its head and we begin to see picture by picture how God has redeemed every moment that came before. Our God is a redeeming God. Nothing in your life has gone to waste. No situation has been so bleak that God can't turn it on its head and make it new. In the case of Esther, Haman set out to destroy the Jews, but when God intervened, the Jews were given honor and riches by the people around them. Haman built a gallows for Mordecai, but then was hung on them himself. No matter what the enemy sets up against you, to trip you or to take you down, God will turn it around for your good. So if you're in the middle of the valley, do not fear. God is still with you. He's just waiting for the right moment to flip the story around. You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor Dave has been making his way through the book of Esther in this incredible series. If you'd like to hear more from Pastor Dave, head on over to our website, assurehoperadio.com. There, you'll find archived messages on many different topics and books of the Bible. Once again, that website was assurehoperadio.com, and you don't have to miss a single message. Follow the links to more live teachings on Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for being here today. We've come to the end of our time together, but we'll be back next time, and we hope you will too. Pastor Dave has more to share on A Sure Hope.